Welcome to the Social Feed Podcast. I'm your host, Missy. Thank you for listening. In this episode, we meet with Brock and Chris from AdCelerant to talk about all things related to digital marketing and the crazy targeting that you can do with it. We get into how hyper-targeting mixes with traditional advertising and the success that they've seen from these type of campaigns. And we even touch a little bit on space billboards. If you're wondering what the heck that is, keep listening. So let's get into this week's episode number 81, how hyper-targeting is taking digital digital marketing to the next level. Today we have with us Brock Berry, who is the CEO of AdCelerant, and Chris Van Zant, who's the Senior Digital Account Manager. They flew in from Denver this morning to um, meet with our team and also be on this podcast. So we're super excited to have you guys on today. Um, as far as Accelerant, for those who haven't heard of them, um, it was a company that was started in 2013 by Brock Berry, who's the CEO, um, Shelby Carlson, and John Chamberlain. The founder's primary objective was to bring Madison Avenue level digital marketing to Main Street. In the last five years, you guys, your team has blown up. You're up to 50 team members. Um, you've executed campaigns in over five countries, 350 markets for hundreds of thousands of small businesses, resulting in, which is super exciting, um, you guys have been named the 83rd fastest growing company in the U.S., according to Inc. Magazine. So welcome, you guys. Thank thanks you. for having us. Yeah, thanks for having um, us. Today, I really want to dive into a little bit about how you started Edcelerant to start with, and then we'll get into a little bit more with some of the businesses you work with. Cool. Yeah, we started in November 2013. And as, as you mentioned, the main goal was to try to bring the, main, the Madison Avenue level digital marketing solutions to Main Street businesses. You know, we're a bootstrapped, uh, completely self-funded company. So you might say we started really slow and then we built as rapidly as we possibly can. I think the, the most interesting sort of data point on that is, is in the last year, we've doubled a number of team members, doubled in revenue again, and just continue to see that kind of kind of growth moving forward. So what's your background? How did you come up with this idea? I started in media. I worked for newspapers for about 17 years, and so did the other our other co-founders. We, we were working for a big media company, one of the largest newspaper companies in the country called Media News Group, where we started a digital marketing services company called AdTaxi. This is a big local company, too, I think, in, in Minneapolis-St. Paul. Uh, through that experience, we learned that there was some really interesting missing elements in this in this business model, and that was predominantly technology. So, with AdCelerant, when we left AdTaxi and started AdCelerant, the main goal was not only to to help the local marketers, but to bring sophisticated digital marketing technology into the equation, so it's easier to run in five countries and tens of thousands of customers. So that's that was kind of the the impetus for that was taking our experience there with services and adding a layer of technology to make it better for the for the end advertiser. And what type of brands do you see the most success with this technology that you guys have? Our primary customer are media companies. So we work with radio stations, newspapers, TV stations, advertising agencies, any company who doesn't currently possess the operational capabilities to execute these campaigns. And our technology solution helps them from a sales enablement perspective, allows them to build proposals for their advertisers that are goal-based and industry-specific, as well as fulfill, execute, and report on those campaigns, all kind of through one UI. So let's talk about that process. So when you meet with, um, let's say you work with an agency, what does that look like? They have their obviously their roster of clients, and then do you guys 
get inv- how do you get involved with that process? Yeah, I would say it kind of has to do with their level of aptitude. So, you know, we work with a lot of really savvy agencies that have a very good idea of what they want to sell to their clients and how they want that executed. Um, and we also have people who come to us looking for really strong recommendations. So where can we jump in and give you the best product mix that's going to allow your advertiser to be successful in their campaign? So again, as Brock said, we work with you know media companies all across the country and we have that certain level of, of aptitude. And, and I think, you know, really, working with all the teams that are within AdCellerant from operations to uh, the software team, really making sure that the campaign is delivered in full as well as being able to provide reporting that lets them know that things have been successful. And when you talk about the different services and technology, are you talking about like display advertising, IP targeting? What are What's that array look like? Absolutely. Go ahead. Yeah, absolutely. We run the spectrum. So everything from, you know, SEO campaigns all the way down to to display campaigns and email. Um, You know, we have a really wide breadth breadth of products. Um, So... Again, it kind of depends on the either media company that we work with or the agency and what they're looking to get from us. Got it. And then your team has grown very, very quickly um, since you launched. So the type of people that you're adding to your team, are they specialized in SEO and email? Or how do you recruit new people to join and be part of this company? Yeah, that's exactly right. So for all the different products that Chris is mentioning, whether it's programmatic advertising, geofencing, developing the technology solutions that we that we have, or partnering with Google and running paid search campaigns, we hire people that are specifically experts in that field, and we build teams of those people to kind of out, if you will, uh, grow and and scale and execute the thousands of potential paid search campaigns or thousands of SEO campaigns. So these these departments are fairly large, if you will, but they're also leveraging this technology application that we're talking about that allows us by by extension to manage very, very hyper-local, small budget-based campaigns at scale. And that's probably the biggest challenge. I mean, sourcing the people in today's market, there's tons of really talented people, especially in Denver where we're from. Um, but at the same time, there's, there's typically capacity issues that you face, and that's, that's really what's been the secret sauce, if you will, at our company is developing systems that allow us to, to do an immense amount of work uh, with a fairly small team. 52 people is not small to most companies, but it is pretty small in the grand scheme of what we do. And then you mentioned you specifically work with like media companies and agencies. Um, would you ever work directly with the client? So if someone listening was, you know, owned a business, would you work directly with them or they need to partner with one of those companies? Typically, we have them partner with one of our companies because our job and our business model is to be really good at operational execution and technology development. And that's really where we want to focus. We're not salespeople by trade. So as, as a result, we would prefer that they work with uh, somebody local to them and, and you know, be able to to have a, di- a direct day-to-day conversation with that person. That actually segues perfectly into my next question because I that, that I think that local aspect is huge. So do I. You know, there are Absolutely. so many agencies out there all over the world that you could work with, but I think having someone in your backyard that knows your market and knows your area, is that a little bit part of your strategy on why you do that too? Absolutely. Absolutely. I mean, my job on a daily basis is to work with the sales teams for each of the partners that I'm assigned to, and they are hyper-focused locally. They know their clients. They've probably worked with them for years. Obviously, they're still going out and knocking on doors, but they work with, you know, maybe they work with an auto dealer that they've known for 20 years and they've been doing either newspaper advertisements or magazines or whatever that might be. We step in, we give them the opportunity to run any of these digital products through us and we just handle it on the operations side. 
Um, and then tell me a little bit about where you see Ed Celerant and what your clients are noticing as far as trending. So are they leaning more towards like email marketing or more towards IP targeting or what does that, that look like? Our biggest growth areas have been things like uh, OTT, yeah. and that's kind of a mixture of connected TV. So these these the ability to watch any TV programming over the internet in your living room, or full episode player. That's people watching video content on their phone or on a iPad or something like that. So just like like Hulu and yes, yeah, exactly. Okay, gotcha. right. So that's a big, big growth area for us. And there's just tons of, of cord nevers and cord cutters that are out there. But these these advertisers are still looking to get that broadcast type message in front of those users. But then now they have to use a different vehicle to do that. So Connected TV or OTT has been our main uh, one of our main growth opportunities. Yeah. And then second to that, which is a really fun potentially scary technology kind of big brotherish is our ability to track all the devices that have been in a specific area. So something as small as a conference room, you can figure out every mobile device that was in that conference room and then target those users no matter where they're at after they leave that room. So could you like target all of us in the studio right now? We could. And then after we leave. Yeah. And we also know where you live typically as well. <laughs> yes. Because your, your phone or your, you know, if you think about it, most people, the three things they won't leave their house without is their wallet, their phone, and their keys. So as a result, they have that phone with them everywhere they go, including when they go to bed. And the place that it typically sits, right next to their bed. So we can reverse engineer based on the lat launch your exact physical address, and then match it up to census data. <laughs> so then we know pretty much everything about you without actually knowing your first and last name, which is what makes it still private yeah. and legal. Um, I sleep with my phone <laughs> under my pillow. Is that weird? Because <laughs> you're all safe, so you're like, you like, can see like, where I am like in my <laughs> No, That's we have awesome. kids. We keep our phones close to us as well. <laughs> yes. <laughs> uh, so what types of campaigns have you run and seen success with that type of targeting? Because that is so niche and granular. <laughs> you know, we really run the gamut when it comes to industry. So, you know, that can be all over the place. Um, where we really, where I really like to focus is on making sure that the right advertiser has the right product mix. So take a, a, an automotive dealer, for example. Um, you know, you want to make sure that they're able to reach a customer who's got the potential to buy or sell a car immediately. Um, but then you also want to run that branding campaign and that's where something like OTT comes in really handy. So you're able to get that commercial out to a large group of people um, in a specific geographic area, maybe based off some demographic categories that you already know of or you're able to garner from your automotive dealer. Um, so again, it's really making sure that we've got the right product mix to get in front of the right people, but we can get as you know, we can get that data as pinpointed as possible and again reach you on your cell phone next to your bed or under your pillow at night if, if necessary. So I fall asleep with it. Um, <clears throat> as far as the creative, because obviously the targeting is a huge part of what you want to do. You want to hit the right audience, but what type are you guys working on the creative or are those agencies doing the creative to make sure that the message resonates with who it's hitting? Typically, it's provided by the partner that we work with. Uh, we do have a new resource where we're starting to develop creative in-house, uh, where it's but it's more agency level creative. So these are people that are interested in like creative engagements that might be twenty five thousand dollars or something, and that's but creative is a big part about whether or not these ads work. So we're really yeah. invested in whether or not those ads work based on that those the creative. And even with OTT, like just the video component, and yeah. then so do you do um, video creative at all, or is video something that the partners usually provide for you as well? 
Yeah, typically they provide it, but we are looking at trying to build a lot of this stuff in house. Yeah, and, the, and you know the big thing is that we again we work with a lot of media companies, so most of most of the partners that we have have those resources, um, especially when you're talking about OTT, where it might be that premium premium level video that you're looking for, rather than something that's a little bit lower level. Have you run into any issues with um, privacy? Um, with any of these tools or just getting a, you know, I know there's like certain target, maybe you have a client that's like, well, we can't actually target that type of thing with what we're doing. Have you had any issues with that? We've, we have had some issues or we, I would say we haven't actually had issues, but we've had to avoid, avoid yeah. issues. <laughs> Absolutely. Uh, and it's more being cognizant of what is allowed and what's not allowed, making sure that we're not mixing certain types of data with other types of data. Cause that's usually where you, you know, you commingle people's actual first name, last name with some of this other inform- information. That's when you start to approach the danger zone, so to speak. Yeah. And then is there anything as far, because this is the social media podcast, um, is there any stuff you guys do with social, with social targeting, with Facebook, Instagram, whatever that looks like? Yeah, absolutely. Um, you know, we work with Facebook. We run ads on Facebook as well, as well as Instagram. Um, we're always beta testing new products as well. So certainly something that we can include. I, you know, obviously we want to make sure that, again, I know I keep going back to this, but it's the right product mix. We work with a lot of media companies who may or may not be doing their own social media stuff. Mm-hmm. So we can always incorporate that. But yes, we can certainly run Facebook advertising um, and Instagram advertising as well. Um, I think, again, it just goes back to making sure it's the right the right plan and then let's talk about reporting so when after a campaign runs do you do all the reporting do you have specific like metrics and dashboards that you utilize and what does that look like yeah we built a proprietary reporting platform called reports.marketing this is a reporting interface that brings together pretty much anything you can imagine into one reporting user interface so it could be things like LinkedIn or Facebook or Instagram all coming in, but it could also include anything that you're running for retargeting, your Google Analytics, and a lot of other conversion data. And the whole goal is, is to make sure that the campaign's working. I mean, yeah. in today's, today's digital marketing landscape, there's so much, it's kind of like the wild west of advertising, and there's a lot of, a lot of promises being uh, committed to that are never actually fulfilled on. And I think this dashboard helps us hold ourselves accountable and helps the end advertiser hold everybody upstream accountable as well. Absolutely. Yeah. And I spend, I mean, one of the main functions of my job is, is training the sales teams on how to look at that reporting and walk through and tell a really good story with it and be able to say, we delivered, you know, this many, this many impressions, we got this many clicks. But what we really saw from that was a certain number of conversions that that advertiser may have set for us previously or that we're bringing to them. Can you tell me about a time, um, you don't have to mention the client name, but maybe it's like a specific industry that you worked in or a client that you worked on that just was a really successful campaign. And what were those components that made up that campaign? Yeah, well, I mean, Brock brought it up earlier when we talk about device ID targeting. One of the, one of the um, advertisers that I worked with um, through 2060 Digital um, was actually uh, holding a booth at a, um, a home and garden event here in Minneapolis, and they were selling hot tubs. But I think that they, I think the story was, sorry, this was a couple of years ago, so I'm trying to recall it. But <laughs> I think I remember the story because that's one of our clients, yes. Yes, they weren't <laughs> actually able to make the home and garden show, so we ran the, the ads for, uh, I think it was a spa hot tub company, and um, you know they were, they were upset that they were missed, going to miss the actual event. We ran some device ID ads for them, and they saw a really solid return on investment. I don't know the numbers off the top of my they head. They sold but more hot tubs 
doing that than they did at actually being at the garden show, yes. which they had been at for yeah. the past, I believe, 15 years. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> wow. I think that's it. So, yes, that's, that's awesome. definitely something that we were directly involved in, um, and I worked with your team on that one. So that was a great success story for sure. I love that one. And we, I think that product's a fun product to talk about advertiser results because when we run these campaigns, we have a furniture store uh, as well that we've been running a campaign for for a long time. And they they target all these different people that are going to other furniture stores shopping. So we put a little geofence around these other furniture stores and then we track those users, send ads to them and try to attract them to our, the client's furniture store. They're attracting about 40 visitors a month from that campaign and they know they convert one in four. And they also know what the average sale is on a, on on average. It's like two thousand mm-hmm. dollars. So for their two or three thousand dollar investment, they're they're getting about a ten to fifteen x return on their investment yeah. every single month. So these these types of things are so trackable that the clients are you know that's easy for them to say yes, I want to keep doing this. Yeah. From like as a marketer perspective, I absolutely love this. But then from like a consumer perspective, perspective, is it a little creepy? And also <laughs> as a competitor, like yeah. if you're targeting my store. Is there, there's no way to like stop the geofencing, is there? Like you can't, there's no, you can't control that. There'll be controls, but then somebody will invent something that can, that can beat that. Can beat that yeah. yeah. So like all the uh, Verizons and AT&Ts right now where they have ballparks, they're putting what they call Wi-Fi nets over the top of it, which blocks our ability to track the devices that enter the building. So this, you know, to your point, there's going to be a lot of that. So the next thing you'll see people selling to small business owners, some sort of Wi-Fi net that blocks them from <laughs> tracking users yeah. that went to their building. <clears throat> yeah. We're constantly changing what we do and, yeah. you know, we have to learn to adapt because technology is going to change um, and our you know our goal is to make sure that we're delivering the best products to our to our partners and how do you stay up to date with all of that stuff there's that's just you know the, the, the tracking nets and then the combating the tracking nets and how do you keep up to date where do you go to is there sources you go to that people can check out yeah ad age um, your ad week, any of these, what we typically do, and it's almost like in our vision statement of bringing Madison Avenue level marketing to Main Street businesses, as long as we continue to monitor what Procter & Gamble and Verizon and all these big box companies like Amazon are doing for their marketing, we're able to re- we're able to reverse engineer those solutions really rapidly back down to the small business owner. So that we kind of get a, we almost get the we get to view the future through the lens of the big marketer and then reverse engineer that back down to the small business owner. I love that. So speaking about those local marketers, how do they know about these products? Is that something that you guys work on educating? And, you know, OTT is, is still a relatively new technology that a lot of small business owners may not even be aware of. How, do, how does your knowledge trickle down to those small business owners? Yeah, I mean, there's going to be multiple different ways. One of my main functions is to train the sales teams that you guys work with here um, on a daily basis about how to educate your your advertisers about things that are new in the market. Um, you know, obviously, if somebody's got some some level of digital aptitude, then they'll be paying attention to that. So, a lot of stuff that I gather is from talking to you know my my partners here um, or advertisers on a daily basis so they'll hear certain things i can pick up on that knowledge you know our team can can gather a little bit more information run tests and then eventually we'll you know we'd hope to be able to offer that project in the market 
And then do you guys share things on, like, do you like a newsletter people can sign up for or on social media that they can check out? Can, can you share some of those handles? Yeah. So we have at ad seller for Twitter. We are on Facebook. We're on Instagram. We're on LinkedIn. And then we also have a newsletter that we publish every single week that has tons of different educational content on what's happening with SEO, what's happening with geofencing. And we use these things to Chris's point to educate all these salespeople in the field. And we probably work with two or 3000 salespeople. So now, Those people are rapidly distributing these messages into the small business community. So hopefully they're able to leverage these things to beat out the Amazons. In our opinion, we want the vibrant business communities in the local markets to continue to grow and not let, not that I don't personally buy things on Amazon every once in a while. I would be lying if I tried to say otherwise. But I still want that local business owner to get that that purchase, you know, that that customer in their door more than I want Amazon to get it. Got it. I just saw this the other day. New technology, new advertising technology. Are you guys thinking about getting into satellite ads? Have you seen the satellite ads? Oh, that, that, what is that? that okay. So Pe- Pepsi recently at least teased that they were going to start doing satellite ads, as in, like, ads you could see at night from, from space? From <laughs> space. Oh, they were going to somehow I mean, this is fulfilling ad. my inner nerd in a, in a <laughs> really great way. Yeah. <laughs> I just saw an article, I think it was today or yesterday, about how they're going to put that plan off for a little while. But I'm just letting you know, you guys might want to think about keeping your eye on satellite advertising. <laughs> Noted. Grow ad satellite. I will definitely take a look at, look at that. <laughs> but that's a, that's, a good, that's a good point. Yeah. Like... With all of these changes, and I mean, yeah, how you guys stay updated, which is is nuts. What can you tell our listeners right now about a few changes that you see happening? Maybe satellites like a couple years down the road. (laughs) But like what's happening right now that they can be aware of? Maybe it's something with geofencing or something like that. I would say talk to your sales reps. You know, if you're an advertiser that's been in the business and you've been working with a sales rep that you've known for a long time or you're new to the game, get out there and just talk to people and make sure that you're aware of what's going on because there are multiple people out there selling these products. And we want to make sure, again, that we've got the right product mix for you. So staying up to date on that, but talk to your salespeople. Um, and if you have if you have questions, set up meetings and, and try to dive into as much as you possibly can. Yeah, I think before there'll be space billboards, there are going to be a lot of other really great <laughs> digital marketing products that we can all use. And I, I and in our in our world, we see this stuff pretty pretty much in real time. We've talked about most of the things that are relevant and new today. I think the biggest thing that we're looking at right now that could be interesting to small business owners very soon is just and this is an counterintuitive what I was just saying, but <laughs> selling your products on Amazon. You know, we're, we're starting to have a ton of local business owners who have e-commerce uh, segments of their website, and now they're moving these products onto Amazon as a part of their overall sales strategy, just another revenue stream. And we're running these ads for them through that platform. And Amazon, just in the last 10 years, the, the IAB did a really great study, and 10 years ago... Amazon wasn't even on the radar of digital marketing ad dollars spent, and today they're number three. And that happened in no time. Yeah. Someone we had on another podcast, um, Jana Wilcox, who I'm sure you guys have met with a few times, she was talking about Amazon influencers and how that's becoming a big trend moving forward. And it's like they're distracting people instead of going to a website directly to go to Amazon with a specific page with all the influ- influencers, mm-hmm. you know, top gift ideas or whatever that looks like. Yeah. So they're they're doing some crazy stuff. So I definitely think that there's something to watch out for. 
I mean, influencer marketing is a really fun, interesting space too, and it's starting to get da- it's starting to get low low enough, I guess, maybe or down market enough where the small business owner can use it. It used to seem like it was only for the companies willing to to sponsor a Kardashian to get them to use a product. Now it's it's down to your local market influencers, and there's a ton of them in every city. Mm-hmm. Yeah, we talk a lot about like micro influencers on previous podcasts, just with you know those smaller followings but super loyal fans. Do you guys tie in any influencer marketing with what you do, or is that ever part of that product mix? We do have a more premium team that focuses on agency esque level marketing solutions. These are clients that are going to spend fifty thousand dollars to a hundred thousand dollars or more per month, and they are touching into influencer marketing. Very cool. And then we always talk about the positives on the podcast that we've talked about where things are going. Has there ever been a campaign you guys did that you thought was going to do really well or maybe they changed up the targeting on you or something um, <laughs> that you can talk about? Yeah, I mean, that that certainly happens all the time. I, again, you know, we want to make sure that we really are taking the client's goals into consideration. And when we don't have a good grasp of what that is, then that's where we think, see things fall apart. So, you know, if you're taking a used car dealer and he wants to target somebody with a household income of 100K plus, that may not match up unless it's a luxury used car dealership. Um, so taking all that into consideration, you know, I don't know that I have a specific example, but we've certainly run into issues where, you know, somebody wants to geofence an event and there's a hundred people that show up to that event. That doesn't give us a whole lot of inventory to deliver ads on. Um, so we want to take all of those types of things into consideration and make sure that we're working with your sales teams um, in order to provide the best recommendations there. Definitely. What about, traditional advertising obviously you work with a lot of media companies newspapers radio stations tv that's you know more traditional advertising and you guys are working with their clients and so you're coming in with the new quote-unquote sexy (laughs) advertising tools how do you mix that in with the traditional advertising that these sales reps are already trying to sell and how, how does that relationship work between you and the agencies and you and the clients too we really focus on reinforcing the value of traditional media. I, I worked in newspapers from being a sophomore in college to as recently as like seven, eight years ago. So as an example, newspaper media being the one that's probably picked on the hardest out of most reg- regular or normal uh, traditional media types, I it still has a huge value. These, these, whether it's radio, TV, or newspaper, those particular products or platforms have a huge audience bat. And they're hitting a giant number of people in the cities that they're relevant in. And we reinforce on a, in a major way that it's all about the purchasing funnel, right? How do people end up going from being aware that they need something or a product or service all the way down to actually buying something at that small business owner's retail location or their service location? And the fact is, is that those, those traditional media products play a tremendous role in driving and influencing kind of the halo effect of marketing all the way down the purchasing funnel. A lot of things that we do are really low funnel marketing solutions. So we need these traditional marketing products for us to be successful. Um, And this kind of goes back to the very beginning of the podcast, but Brock, what would you say for people who are wanting to start? I mean, you kind of started this, this, you started this business. So what would you say for someone who's maybe looking to get into start a new business or, you know, maybe help grow their business through digital marketing? What advice would you give to them? It's an interesting question. (laughs) (laughs) You know, it's different for everybody. I can only really speak to what my own personal experience was. 
if you are endeavoring to, you're, you're a budding entrepreneur, you have a really great business idea and you want to get out there in the field and talk to people about it, you know, the, the first thing I think you have to ask yourself is, is am I ready for this? It's a, it's a lonely, dark, oftentimes pretty uh, heartbreaking road that you're going to walk <laughs> down. Uh, and eventually, if you're fortunate enough where I feel like I'm at now, you cross kind of a, a, a threshold where you're paying yourself you're able to support your family. I have two kids. So there was about two years where I didn't make any money at all. So that's, that's a question. You know, are you ready to, to go incomeless for two years? Cause that's a, that's a pretty common window of time. How are you going to support that? How are you going to pay for that? Uh, the other thing I would tell anybody who's getting into, into, a new business or being an entrepreneur for the first time is don't believe all the stuff you read. I mean, everywhere you go, if you're, if you're like me, when I started, I would read Inc magazine and entrepreneur magazine. And all I ever read about was how all these companies and entrepreneurs were getting all this huge amount of funding from these venture capital companies. And I thought, gosh, I have to get millions of dollars of funding from these companies to be successful. And that's the only way people do it. That is the 1% of the 1% of people that actually succeed. So if you're out there and you want to do this, I would say make sure your your heart's ready for it, your gut's ready for it. And if it is, don't believe everything you're reading. You're going to have to go out and figure it out on your own. It's a, It'll take a while, but it's possible. I, I love that because right before we did this podcast, we were yeah. all actually meeting with a client. And they're starting their own business yep. yeah. um, and going off. And so just kind of the the passion they had for it and the idea is amazing and so it's going to be really cool to see how that grows and they're talking about incorporating some of these digital elements we talked about along with website builds and social media so that again that integrated mix um that chris had mentioned earlier you bring up a good point though and that's that is probably the part of the question i didn't answer that's most important the first thing you need to do after you decide to do it and get over the depression that you're likely to get into immediately worried about whether or not you pay your bills <laughs> the next thing to do is to build your website yes and develop your social media presence. So when people actually hear about your name, they have somewhere to go find out more about you. That's the number one thing to do. That and probably get your Google My Business page set up and your local SEO products styled in. Mm -hmm. Yeah, Yeah. gotta play nice with Google. Yes, absolutely. What's the number one question, Chris, as as you're out, you know, meeting with these reps and um, by proxy, the small businesses and everything, what's the the biggest question that you get asked? How does device ID work? Um, you know, device ID is a geofencing product and we hear that a lot because people react the same way every time they love it, but they're also frightened by it. So, um, you know, it's really based off of data, data location services on your applications on your cell phone. So when you enable or allow them to access your location, that's how we're able to track that, that specific and unique device identification number down. Yeah, my favorite is one of the, one of our colleagues always asks, "How many of you have a free app on your phone?" Yeah, and ev- inevitably everybody in the room will raise their hand, right? And then they go, "Do you really think it's free?" Because it's not. Yeah. When you said yes to whatever the terms and services were, you also said yes to them pinging your GPS and sending that data to somebody like our company, so we can target that user based on where they've been. Totally makes sense. <laughs> it's not, nothing's free. Nothing is yeah, free. Nothing is free. free. Well, everything we talked about um, on today's podcast, um, the links to everything will be in the show notes at socialviewpodcast.com slash EP81. Thank you guys for being on today. I appreciate it. Thanks yeah, for having thank us. You. The Social Feed is a production of Hubbard Interactive with music provided by Minneapolis-based artist John Atwell.